Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. Well, we're now fully into the holiday shopping season, and a lot has changed since the pandemic began. The biggest shift that businesses are expecting to see this year is more customers in person, so expect those big crowds. E-commerce is expected to slow down, but only slightly. It's still one of the preferred methods for many people, and it should top the $200 billion mark for the first time. Customers also have more buy now, pay later options, and get ready for live streaming shopping events. For more on what to expect this shopping season, we'll speak to Melissa Repko, retail reporter at CNBC. There's really a couple of reasons why shoppers have said in surveys that they expect to go back to the store. One of them is that people have missed the experience of going to stores and to malls and kind of want to resume that tradition. But then there's also a practical reason, which is that with supply chain on people's minds, a lot of people are, are thinking that it would be better to have something in hand rather than waiting for a package to arrive on their doorstep. So that would create some peace of mind. And then in other cases, if they can't find that perfect gift or something that's at the very top of their wish list, the store may give them other ideas. So inspiration for what to get that, you know, hard to shop for brother, or if they can't find the green sweater, maybe they can be satisfied with the blue. Uh, that's definitely the kind of shopper that I am. I have to get out there and start seeing it for that inspiration. I know tons of people can just surf online forever and, and really get that, but I need that physicality for me for it to work. But uh, yeah, I mean, and definitely, you know, that this is going to be an interesting thing going on. Tell me a little bit about the e-commerce side of things, because while we're going to see a slight slowing down of that, all the analysts are saying that this is going to be the first holiday season where it goes over $200 billion. Yeah, so online sales are projected to rise 10% to $207 billion, according to Adobe Analytics. They do a bunch of survey work and, and estimates, and that is a big jump, but that 10% is compared to last year's growth, which was 33%. So you can just put that in perspective, but it's still pretty amazing to think about the amount of growth that's happening considering the growth that happened last year. And a lot of these new ways of online shopping have become part of people's routines too. So curbside pickup is sort of the in-between. You order online, but then you pick up in a parking lot of a store. So you have some physical element of it too, and perhaps could even park your car if you want to run in and grab that extra item you forgot. Speaking of which, returning to stores, obviously we talked about that is going to be a big thing. People are expecting a lot of them to be out there on Black Friday and through the weekend, obviously, and this is all leading into it. As, as you mentioned, kind of with the supply chain issues, that's a great point. You know, you might see that thing, boom, let's grab it now versus waiting online and it'll tell you it'll arrive on a certain day and then you get that notification. Well, now it's going to be a few days more. So going back in store is going to be huge. Yes, I actually have had that situation happen myself recently where I was shopping for clothes and I saw a pair of pants and thought, oh, it would be so much easier just to get it shipped to my house rather than carrying it home with me. I was out of town. By the time I got home two days later, that item was out of stock. The other one that's uh, interesting, too, and we've seen it play out quite a bit now, right? We've done away with the old days of layaway, you know, saying, hey, I want that item. I'll pay it off after a certain few installments, and then finally you can get that. Really, that doesn't work anymore. It's all about buy now, pay later. Take that 
thing home right now and then you pay it off in your installments. Yes, it's kind of a win-win because for retailers, the way that layaway worked is that they would keep that item on hand until the customer paid it off. So they're holding on to your merchandise until you can fully purchase it. But with buy now, pay later, these retailers from Macy's to Target are kind of offloading some of the risk and the responsibility and giving it instead to another company like Afterpay or Affirm. There's a bunch of different companies that offer these types of payment programs. And one of the other things that obviously everybody knows they want back is the return to experiences after going through the pandemic, being closed down, not being able to do much. People are ready to go out and shift some of that spending from whatever it was, the classic thing, toys and this and all that other stuff, to more of these experiences, going to concerts, going on vacations, all that. A lot of those types of experiential gifts, which really were popular in 2019, are expected to come back. A lot of consumers say that they're looking more closely at things like gift cards for spa days or dinner at a fancy restaurant or even Broadway tickets or movie tickets. And uh, one other perk of that might be you don't have to worry about that being in stock or out of stock but when you're getting an experience. But a year ago, a lot of those gifts just didn't feel practical because people were not able to use that gift card anytime soon. Yeah, 43% of consumers plan to redirect that spending to these experiences And a lot of it's going to play around uh, with the older millennial set. So between 32 and 39, which obviously, you know, they they want to get out and have that fun right now. So that's where that big shift is going to be playing out. One of the other things that's going on with a lot of holiday shopping is live streamed events, which is pretty interesting. Walmart specifically is going to be doing more than 30 live streams in November and December, trying to ramp people up to the holiday for all of the holiday shopping season. They're going to do a big event with Jason Derulo to kick off Cyber Week. Yes, it's been a new area that a lot of retailers have been experimenting in, everyone from Bloomingdale to Petco. And Walmart's the latest to really double down in this space. It's, it's having a series of these events, as you mentioned, and think of it as kind of a modern spin or a younger spin on, on QVC in that they're really aiming at typically younger shoppers who might be looking for ideas, a little stumped about what to buy people or even to buy themselves as they get ready for holiday parties. And so during this presentation, this live event, they usually have either influencers or celebrities present different things from electronics to beauty products to clothing. And then people with very few clicks can add it to their virtual cart. I spoke to Walmart's chief marketing officer, William White, and he was talking about how the whole idea behind this is to create more of an emotional connection with shoppers, give them some ideas, and make it really easy for them to get from inspiration to purchase. So reducing the number of distractions people have, which you know are abundant this time of year in particular, and getting them to just quickly add it in the basket, check out before they can change their mind. And a lot of the cues that they're taking for this is uh, something that's been a big sales driver for retailers in China. And Amazon, for their part, they already kind of do a lot of these little live events just to you know, explain the product more, you know, and all that just to get people's interest up. But they're taking some big cues from China where it has been a hit. Yes, it's been very popular in China and it's been slower to catch on in the U.S. It's still a newer sort of muscle for American shoppers to get ideas in this way. But Walmart's betting that this will take off. And they're especially thinking that considering the festive season, that it's kind of combining shopping with an element of fun and entertainment. If you're inclined to watch, the Walmart event's going to be hosted by Jason Derulo. It's going to be on Twitter, which is their first shoppable live stream event. And uh, that's going to be at 7 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Melissa Repko, retail reporter at CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. 
Thank you. This week, we also saw President Biden tapping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to release 50 million barrels of oil in hopes that it will bring down the price of gas. This is an effort done in coordination with six other countries to bring down prices, which is a big contributor to inflation. The only snag is that it still may take some time before we see the effects or if it works at all. For more on what to know, we'll speak to Tim Puko, energy policy reporter at The Wall Street Journal. The inflation part is key. As you've seen prices for all sorts of consumer goods go up, you've also seen President Biden's poll numbers and his public support go down. That has concerned a lot of people at the White House. And so for weeks, they've been trying to figure out what solutions are even available to them to address that. Energy prices, which have gone up a ton, oil has gone up 75 percent just in, in the past 52 weeks, have been central to these concerns out of the White House. They don't have a lot of options, quite frankly, you know, commodity markets are notoriously variable. There are a lot of things that affect them and and they can go in a lot of different ways. But this is basically what the administration has honed in on as one thing that they can do uh, that they're hoping will have a result. Put more oil on the markets and hope it results in lower prices. Now, we're releasing 50 million barrels. The other countries, we're looking at China, India, Japan, South Korea, and the UK. I guess together they're going to be putting out 65 to 70 million barrels. So, you know, we're putting out the majority of it. That's right. One of the wrinkles here is that we don't exactly know what a lot of these other countries are going to do. India and the United Kingdom are the only two that have made formal announcements and combined, they're going to put about 6.5 million barrels of oil on the market. China has not said what it's going to do, but the U.S. is the leading producer and consumer of oil in the world, both. So it gives it a large market share. It has an especially large reserve compared to what other strategic government reserves exist in the world. And as I mentioned, the political concerns for the Biden administration are very intense here. So they've been at the center of this effort. It's been some of Biden's top advisors who've been working diplomatic channels around the world to get other countries working with it to put all this oil out there. And like I said, there are a lot of uncertainties around whether it will have an effect. So the thinking is, well, one way you can at least try to make sure that it does have an effect on markets is get more countries to do it with you. But again, we'll see if it works. Now, tell me a little bit more about the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve, because it's pretty interesting. I didn't really know much about it. It consists of four underground salt caverns along the Texas and Louisiana coast. There's a ton of barrels of oil in there. And then how they tap that oil is also pretty interesting. Tell us about it. Well, there are about 600 million barrels of oil in the reserve right now. That's down from a peak of more than 700 million because our government philosophy on how to use this reserve has changed a lot over time. In the beginning, it was created by Congress or established by Congress in the 1970s as basically an emergency supply. That was right after the Arab oil embargo, and there was a lot of concern about the increasing reliance of the country on export. But as you and I'm sure your listeners know, there's been quite the increase in U.S. domestic oil production just over the past decade. And so as U.S. oil production has climbed, political leaders don't see the necessity to have such a large emergency reserve on hand. And a few times in recent years, the U.S. Congress has tapped it basically as a piggy bank. This by far would be the largest effort to tap into that oil. But there have been seven sales just in about the past four years alone, as Congress has looked to pay for things like tax cuts and other major spending initiatives. So, you know, we've seen more pressure and the Obama administration did it too, to try to use this oil 
to help U.S. consumers when political leaders are sensing a need for it or just when they have other uh, other issues they want to raise money for. But as you've been saying, right, will it actually work? That has yet to be seen. It's going to take some time to actually get that oil out. It could take as long as two weeks before it hits the market. So this is kind of uh, something that could work in the short term. In the long term, it might not be as good. But even still, as I mentioned, it could take about two weeks. They have to pump water down in the bottom of, uh, of the cylinders that they have there. It forces the oil upward. You know, all of this process is going to take some time. Well, there's even more process than that. I mean, what you're describing is actually the physical process of getting oil up out of the ground. That'll take a couple of weeks. But it's going to be a couple of weeks even before that, before the U.S. government has the sale. They have to do a bid process first. Buyers have to figure out if they're interested. And then even beyond, you know, now we're talking about pretty much a month-long process. Even beyond that, then it takes time for oil to get transported from place to place, for it to get processed into gasoline, and for that gasoline to reach consumers. So we're talking you know, many weeks, if not a couple months in all, before this oil starts to get out there. And that's been one of the concerns. Oil prices on the futures market have already started to come down in the past you know, four or five weeks. But even that does not necessarily mean an immediate benefit to consumers. There's that whole process of transport and refining that I mentioned. And so it's the consumers. That's the problem. It's, what, it's the consumers that matter to the Biden administration. You know, we're heading into the holiday travel season. It's one of the busiest travel seasons of the year. People are driving all over the place. And there are potential political ramifications if people can't afford to get where they want to go right. or if they're feeling like their pocketbooks are getting hit by rising costs and the president isn't doing anything about it. Tim Pucco, energy policy reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. This past week, we saw the Bay Area and Los Angeles be hit with a spat of flash mob style robberies, targeting luxury retail stores, jewelry stores, and even some marijuana dispensaries. It underscores a huge challenge that law enforcement has And many also point to Proposition 47, which reduced some property crimes to misdemeanors in California. They say that this could be a big driver of all this. For more on these robberies, we'll speak to Rachel Swan, reporter at the San Francisco Chronicle. So we actually saw something really similar last year in 2020, and that was definitely in the Bay Area. Can't speak for other parts of the country, but that was like... Right during, you know, the, the end of May, early June, around the time of the uh, social unrest that we were seeing, um, we did see some of these like caravans of cars traveling around the Bay Area and hitting up, gosh, car dealerships in San Leandro, Westfield Mall in San Francisco, uh, department stores. You know, so we've seen some of this before, but it just seems to have reached kind of a tipping point in the Bay Area. And it's just something that's really hard for law enforcement to quell for a variety of reasons. I mean, many are obvious, like the just the sheer number of people running into a location, like swarming a location at one time is just completely it's more than police officers can handle. It's these crowds of people. They coordinate on social media. They move together. They move fast. It's hard for police to quickly develop what they call situational awareness and gather intelligence on these flash mobs. And yeah, it just gets out of control really quickly. And then they 
flee very quickly. Yeah. And, and that's the other part of it, right? It's an organized effort. There's people waiting in cars outside so they can get away. Police have said that they do have intelligence, right? That these are multiple groups that are coordinating often on social media. They'll identify mm-hmm. a place beforehand. And then if they see police presence, they can pivot really quickly and target somewhere else. So to your point, that's why it's really difficult to nail them all down. And then what happens after that is they resell this stuff. They'll go onto online marketplaces. Sometimes they'll just sell it in the streets. Sometimes it ends up overseas. So these are all the things that happen after they've been stolen. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing from law enforcement is that like part of what's enabling this whole trend is the fencing operations, you know, and a lot of that has now moved online. But traditionally, you know, in San Francisco, obviously, we've seen it even on particular intersect street intersections. You see people sell to flea markets, but there are whole distribution networks that these um, events are theoretically supplying. Governor Gavin Newsom has spoken out about all of this stuff and said, you know, he has no sympathy, empathy for these folks. They must be held to account. He said that there's going to be more CHP patrolling in the in these areas and you'll see a greater police presence, hopefully to deter some of this. But as I mentioned, what's going on in California, there was something passed called Proposition 47. And a lot of people are pointing to this where it changed, you know, how people could be charged. In a lot of these cases, if uh, you're caught with something under $950, it's not a felony or anything. It's just a misdemeanor. So a lot of people say mm-hmm. that emboldens these people to do it. And then on the prosecutor side, you know, a lot of times maybe they don't even pursue some of this stuff. It's really hard to say. I mean, your description of Prop 47 is exactly right. It set the threshold at $950 for most thefts. You know, I've looked at charging documents where it was someone, for instance, there's a case in San Francisco very recent of someone who stole like a hundred times from a Target store or something, just like went in, stole, went out, went out. And you look at the charges and it's all misdemeanors. <laughs> it's all misdemeanors right. because of the law. So it's interesting that, you know, that's something that was passed by voters, but it's become extremely contentious over the years. It's hard to say to what degree this particular trend is triggered by Prop 47, because my understanding is that overall theft has actually gone down. But definitely having these kinds of flash mobs in the spotlight has brought the conversation about Prop 47 to the forefront. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you're talking about enforcement, you're talking about, as Governor Gavin Newsom said, hold these people to account. They're limited a lot of times, right? And and, and if you think about it too, right, these big organized things, as it was in the case in the Bay Area at that Nordstrom, 80 people go in. Everybody's going to grab some stuff Maybe not a complete 950, but between everybody, it amounts to something else. So, yeah, there's a lot of difficulties Mm -hmm. with all of this. And, you know, hopefully we don't see more of it. But, you know, we're heading into the holidays. People are out shopping. People are wearing masks. That anonymity thing is pretty easy right now. (laughs) So uh, it's a tough situation, as you mentioned. Uh, Just a particular challenge for law enforcement who are, are scrambling just to keep up. Rachel Swan, reporter at the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.